Base Life Podcast, Episode 16. In this episode, Brian and I sit down with professional adventurer Joby Aguin and have a chat. This was a really neat podcast recording because uh, we just bumped into Joby at the Horner Pub, struck up a conversation, and uh, he was more than more than willing to do a recording with us. So, uh, pretty stoked to have done this one, and uh, hopefully, you enjoy it. Make sure you check the show notes for some links to Joby's uh, projects to include one he's currently working on, a full-length movie called The Man with the Silver Case. All right, so this is Joby Aguin, a professional adventurer, renowned mountain climber, wingsuit base jumper. Enjoy! Three, two, one, see ya! You're listening to Base Life Podcast with your hosts, Randy and Brian. All right. Uh, welcome to the Base Life Podcast, Joby uh, Ogwin, international yeah, thanks, man. man of uh, adventure. <laughs> I try to be. Yeah. I try to be when I can. I try yeah. to get around when I can. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, go ahead. Yeah. So how how's life? What uh, what brings you to Switzerland? Uh, you know what? This is a very different project for me. Um, I mean, I remember when I was coming here at the beginning was for production. And then I remember coming back here for life <laughs> and jumping. Uh, but right now I'm working with a very good friend of mine who's a writer, director in Southern California. And he found some really great financing for a movie called The Man with the Silver Case, which is an action adventure movie. It's kind of Jason Bourne style movie. And so I'm a producer on that. I did some stunts where I jumped out of the helicopter, just like slick down into the valley oh nice and it was like the whole opening sequence kind of like um a bond movie where you know the guy kind of has all this action and then it cuts to the the music and the opening um i actually get killed in the opening sequence which is really funny after i land (laughs) safely um a guy shoots me in, in a sports car so um it's pretty funny but uh yeah i kind of tee it up for the lead actor actually um but it's kind of funny because all the stuff I've done is mostly documentary, like National Geographic, Discovery Channel type stuff. And this is totally different. And I like producing stuff, but I've been here for almost two months. So in some ways, I'm I'm glad that we're wrapping things up in the next week and we'll... You know, we'll go back home to California where it's warm. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is, a, this is a cold time of year to be in Switzerland. Yeah, it is. But um, I think... Maybe two weeks ago, whatever it was, there was um, a period of like 48 hours where they said it was the coldest in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, right? for sure. And I think that was all of Central Europe. So it yep. was – we were literally on the day that it was the most cold was the day that we were scouting locations and were standing around looking at stuff outside all day long for like 12 oh. hours. Yeah. Yeah, I got sick for the first week of shooting and couldn't even show up on the set for like six days. Uh, but I love being in Switzerland, and it's good to be here. And at least I got a few jumps. In. Nice. Yes, yeah. The uh, when it was that cold here in Europe, they said the North Pole went above freezing for twenty four <laughs> hours. It was colder in Europe than it was on the North Pole. 
I believe it. It was yeah. crazy. It was. I brought like eight thousand meter peak down suits. You know, like one piece suits. I brought two of them, one for the director and one for me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, we we didn't end up putting them on, but it was like on the edge of it. But no, it's good. Uh, something different here for me. But it's nice because I've been coming here for eleven or twelve since two thousand six or two thousand seven. Um, so it's like to reconnect with all the people here in the Valley is really nice. And the old friends there, and I still have equipment stored at the basement of the Horner apartments. And it's all, it was funny to go through the bags and see everything that was there. And, uh, yeah, it's good to, to be here and, and still be alive watching what's going on. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's like goal number one, stay alive as long yeah. as possible. Goal two, have fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how a kid from Louisiana ended up being the youngest person to, was it the 7-7 seven and seven or mm-hmm. um, Everest? You were the young, at the time, you were the youngest. Both. Dude. Both, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how, how do you go? Because Louisiana's pretty flat as far as I, I know. <laughs> it's the flattest. <laughs> it's actually under the water. <laughs> it's definitely flat. <clears throat> um, you know, it's funny. I, that's probably the question that I've been asked the most, which is how does this guy come from the flats part and go to the tallest mountains in the world? But it, it was pretty simple. I just wanted to travel and I was really into photography and I thought well, I'll be a photographer. I was a crappy photographer, but <laughs> I had an idea of the seven summits. And at the time there were only like five guys in the world that had ever done that. And I thought, man, all right, that's a cool project because you see all the continents. And it's ambitious because it's going to cost you a million dollars at the time. I think that's probably how much I spent on it or not, or I conned some guys out of a bunch of it to, <laughs> to pay for it somehow, sponsors. Um, but, yeah, it, I just got into it from the travel. I got into it from the photography point of view. And that's what I thought would happen is that, if I went to these places that I would have opportunities that would be created from those things. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. You know, about halfway through, I started to see a path that I could follow that had to do with, you know, entertainment or adventure and presenting stuff or sharing, you know, stories. It's like, you're doing something that's so cool that nobody else is doing hardly at all in the world. How cool would it be to share that with people? And I found that medium later on through television and being able to make shows and commercials and things and share those kinds of things. But the climbing got me to that point, and I always knew that it would. Plus, I really loved mountains. I wanted to be in the mountains. I wanted to climb mountains. I wanted to do the most extreme expeditions that you could do i wanted to be cold i wanted to suffer i wanted to be on the far side of the planet for many months on end and so i did that i wanted to live alone out of a duffel bag and be just completely isolated and i also wanted to be accepted among the people who were considered the best guys in the world at high altitude climbing super extreme high altitude only guys that just went to the himalayas and that's it and so you find yourself in this tiny little group and then I also later on found a tiny little group within the mountains here in Switzerland and around the world for base jumping and, and flying off the mountains. So in a lot of ways, it's like 
I feel like I grew up in just the right time to take advantage of the technology that was happening around and the ability to travel with such easy and to have companies that would get behind athletes and sponsor them. I mean, I had great deals with like Oakley and stuff for so many years that allowed me to do the things I did or deals with companies from television like National Geographic that would put up, you know, multiple millions of dollars, Discovery Channel, you know, 15, 20 million dollars to to do one idea about climbing a mountain and jumping off of it and being that guy. So that's sort of the short version of the story of how the guy went from the flattest place to the highest place. And I like the end of the story is that the guy walked away. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want, right? You've, you've seen the, the best of both worlds when it comes to the climbing community and the jumping community. Who parties harder? <laughs> wow. Well, what I found is that the mountain people, the people that spend time in the harder areas doing the more extreme stuff are definitely the hardest <laughs> partiers <laughs> of all time. The base jumping community definitely has a special party atmosphere and a light atmosphere and a laid back atmosphere that I think because in some ways, like, you know, the 8,000 meter peak stuff, you're putting in a massive effort and living in a a more of a hostile environment. Mm -hmm. So there's only so much partying you can do. (laughs) Whereas here, you know, in Lauterbrunn and some places like that or Chamonix or around Cape town, around the world, uh, China, the places that I've been, everybody's having a pretty good time. And it's nice because I think what we do in a lot of ways is a celebration of life. Every time you do it, you're doing a mega stunt every time mm-hmm. that we jump off the cliff. The, the The normal man on the street sees that as an outrageous thing. And we see, embrace it as a, a, a way of life, a weekend to be enjoyed, time to be savored. That 30, 40 seconds is... Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't trade it. You can't yeah. trade it. Yep. You can't make it up. And you fully believe exactly what you're doing is worth the stretch and it's worth the risk. And very few people in the world can imagine that. That's why I think in a lot of ways this place is special because you can replicate it again and again. And in our world, in a relatively safe environment in some ways. You know? yeah. Generally, yeah. yeah. Safer, Generally. safer now. Safer than, than it used to than be. Than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, half the trick is just judgment, you know, like knowing when it's good to go up and when it's not, you know, and then mitigate as much risk as possible. I'm sure you, I mean, you've been dealing with that in in various realms for a long time. Yeah, and I think it's it's important that some of the best days I've had in the mountains were when I didn't get to the top. And I've had people give me bigger compliments for not, going for something and going, wow, you were right there and you, you were, you walked away. I'm like, yeah, I did that a few times in the big mountain ranges where I just looked at it. I'm like, I'm right there, but it's, it, it's going to cost me fingers or toes or something, maybe more. And it's the same way here. I've been doing a MasterCard commercial where they spent $4 million and they dropped me off on the mushroom and the wind was just a little behind me and in an awkward angle and gusting just a little bit. It was fine. I could have jumped off. No problem. And somebody you guys probably know, <clears throat> Graham was my cameraman and got 
dropped off next to me. He said, oh, yeah, it's good. We're going to go. I said, yeah. You're about 18 years younger than me, bro. Mm-hmm. I said, let's get the helicopter back. We're going to go do something else. And a lot of times it's just that. It's And, you know, you know, unfortunately for him, he was a very ambitious person as well. Um, just knowing when to walk away. I mean, like, it's easy to get cocky and it's easy to get where you've, you're pulling stuff off that you shouldn't be able to do. And I've watched guys do that. I, I was there in Cape Town when Jeb mm. went in, you know, and bounced off the rock. I was standing there watching it. I just just jumped, you know. Wow, there he is! Holy shit, <laughs> Holy shit my buddy just died. And then we took him to the hospital, and the guys came out and said, "Your buddy's probably going to die." I'm like, "Great." Comes back out and says, "Ah, I think he's going to live, but we're going to have to amputate his legs, like way up." Mm. Okay. And then he comes back and goes, actually, you know, actually, your buddy's really like some freak of nature. He said he, he's got a broken legs, but it's not that bad. And he's going to, you know, he's going to be in ICU for like four days. But I think he's, I think he'll be okay because his internal organs are starting to shut down. It was like 119 degrees that day or something. Ooh. But it shows you what can happen. And it shows you these examples over and over and over again of people that are putting themselves out there and it's easy to get carried away with it. And part of it is in a lot of ways, cause it's so much fun what we're doing. If it wasn't, yeah, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So how do you manage the risky activity with the expectations of a client or a production company? Um, cause I mean, obvious, well, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. How, how do you manage uh, both sides of that? Well, for me, the the first time I ever did a base jump, I was we were filming it and it mm-hmm. was for a movie and, you know, so when I got into that part of it especially, I looked at it from a very professional point of view. I was in it in a, I'm not afraid to say it. I I was like in it to make money. I, I said, I can, I can make a living from this. I can figure it out. I had figured out how to climb and, and make money climbing. People would always say that. How do you make money from that? There's ways to make money from anything. And it was a massive challenge. Like people would say, uh, how are you going to do that? I'm like, I'll find a way. And part of it was because I lived in Los Angeles. And I lived in Hollywood where you can go in and pitch an idea that seems outrageous and it's the most expensive, crazy thing in the world. Hey, man. I did it. I walked into Discovery Channel and said, I need $10 million to go jump off the summit of Mount Everest. And you know what? They gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, they did. Actually, they gave me more than that. Yeah, which one's crazy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You or the Discovery Or the Discovery exactly. Channel guys. That's what I'm saying. No, it's just, but it's like that. I think that was the difference is that I saw it from a point of view of creating something out of it and telling a story. That was what made it valuable to me. Like, I didn't mind risking my life because I wanted to share it. Like, it meant more to me to be able to create something from it. Now, I'm not saying I didn't have fun hot-rodding it off the high nose and racing my friends and seeing how far we could go and all that and doing stupid shit. But I saw it from the point of view that if you could create a beautiful story from that, because to me, that was the coolest thing in the world. I always dreamed of flying. I dreamed when I was a little kid that the technology would evolve to where there would be a point where there would be a suit that would allow you to fly. And yeah, you'd have to learn how to do it. It would be a challenge. It'd be dangerous. Well, thank God for that. Otherwise it wouldn't be (laughs) this awesome thing. People come here and they see what we're doing. They just 
can't believe it. Because mm-hmm. we're doing something we're not supposed to do. We're seeing things that you're not supposed to see. And so the way I see it is that everybody has their little reason for being here. And so when we all show up at the Horner and everything, nobody has to say it. But they're all thinking the same thing. Nobody knows except us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, nobody that, knows that. It's that <laughs> smile that everybody has. Like, oh, yeah. After a day of just ripping it, it mm-hmm. you're like, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You see a dude walking with a stash bag, and you're like, yep. Okay. <laughs> right. I know he had fun. I don't, have, I, don't have to, I don't even have to ask, but I will anyways. But you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, what'd you do today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which one did you jump? Right? Yeah, There's, which, you know. <laughs> yeah, where were you at? Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, so <clears throat> how much fun was working on uh, Adventures Wanted with Nat Geo? That was really a great experience for me because <clears throat> I got to do a lot of different things. And obviously one of those things, I got to pick everything that I did and kind of set it up. And they gave me a huge budget. And and I got to do what I wanted to do, which is I wanted to have my own TV show. Like I wanted to present stuff and tell stories. And so that was really cool because – Everything was so different. I mean, every but one of those things was base jumping, and I, you know, had to learn how to do stuff in about a week. I, had, you know, went from zero parachute jumps to you know about thirty days later, I think it was, of total training that I jumped off the mushroom, and it all worked perfect. Like you know, I had good teachers and stuff like that, but I had good teachers in all of those things, whether it was the race car, or the big wall climbing, or the you know rodeo. I had guys that could show me the fundamentals of stuff enough to where I could put it back together again at the end and pull it off just barely. The base jumping actually was the easiest in some ways. It took longer, but it was far more technical and advanced to try to do what we were doing, you know, to just go straight to the Iger, which in the end you realize it's like, that's nah, perfect jump. You, know, you fall off of it, yeah. but it's massive. I was just up there the other uh, yesterday in the helicopter flying around, and I showed my you know friend the mushroom, and said, "Wow, look at that! You know, can you believe? You know, I had a friend. We used to camp at the base of the West Face, mm-hmm. and every morning, me and Andy West, who's older guy, retired base jumper guy, he and I would go up there every morning, and for breakfast we jumped off the mushroom. That's oh. what we did." We did that for multiple summers in a row. I probably jumped off the mushroom a hundred times. We would just go up there and just, like, light it up. Just the two of us, just climb up, jump off, fly down to Alpaglen or whatever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) take the train back around, pack the parachute. And then we would just go and, like, you know, hang out where the waterfalls were coming down and stuff. I mean, to me, the camaraderie of people like that and show you how to do stuff show you where the locations are at. You know, it's a special thing. I think that's the most special thing about base jumping is that you have to have somebody show you the way a little bit where you take it is kind of where you want to go. Like I took it to the ultimate. I'm like, "Ah, let's fly the biggest, massive, most high performance wingsuits and let's do the biggest jumps in the world. When nobody was chartered helicopters up here, I chartered one every day that the weather was good and the weather wind was in the right direction, and we would just jump out over the summit of the Eiger 
or we would just go to Zermatt and say, just, let's just fly around the Matterhorn. Nobody ever did that. <laughs> we, just, we came up with crazy ideas. And I was very lucky because I lived in the big city. And people would say, oh, you're not the best jumper in the world and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Good for you. But while you guys are out here partying, I'm back in L.A. selling stuff. And that's the difference because they always say, well, how do you get all this money? I'm like, because I'm working my ass off to sell these ideas. I would get money for stuff to guys just to – well, they would just want to take a look at stuff. You just show them a little sample. I mean, this is before it was kind of widespread, so it was a little different. So in that way, timing-wise, I was really lucky to get stuff – done that I really wanted to get done inside the shows and the movies because a lot of what I wanted to do it required some massive resources that a lot of times I would think "Ah, that's probably not going to happen because it's just too expensive or something and somebody'd say yes Mm. but it's putting yourself out there for those people that's the hardest thing and the hardest thing actually is actually being given your chance when the guys say yes you're like Oh, oh no. really? <laughs> oh no! Oh, no. Shit! Yeah. No, I have I to actually it. go do this thing now. <laughs> yeah, I remember Pressure showing up eighteen thousand feet, and I'm looking up, going, uh, "Why did I? What, what, whose idea was this again? Yeah. Was that mine? Oh, okay." Yeah, so, how did you, uh, in that series in particular, how did you get hooked up with uh, the various experts across uh, those episodes and those uh, adventures? Mm-hmm. I I was very lucky. I had a guy who was our producer director uh a, a guy named roman gagowski who has a big production company in new york city and he he just reached out to these different people and i really didn't have anything to do with it i just said here's what i want to do and and he said okay let me let me reach out to some experts and so and of course he had a lot of people go hey, I'll, i want to do that that sounds fun and but what was funny about that was that all of the people that he talked to every single one of them that we actually ended up working with and I trained with said the same thing every time it became a joke. They said that there's no way that a guy can learn how to drive the race car in seven days. That's just, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Or, all right. So you're saying you want to do something big, like, you know, jump off the Iger, but the guy's never had, a, he's never skydived or anything. And you're going to do this in like, a, he's going to train for a month and he's just going to do that. And they were like, yeah, that's impossible. That That's there's, you can't do that. But, at the time, I was working out like five, six hours a day. I was really super fit, and I could kind of put stuff together, like the fundamentals of stuff. And I told the guys, I said, look, I told the guys at National Geographic, I said, look, I, and in New York, I said, if you get me the right people to show me the fundamentals, I can break it down. I can break a whole sport down, and I can put it back together, and I physically probably do it. And I asked, I remember asking the guys, I said – how many of these, because the only thing I was thinking was, you know, in a lot of ways of business. I mean, I have a business degree. I was like, what? how many do I have, do I have to pull off to get season two? <laughs> and right. the guy, yeah. And so the guy goes, uh, he looks at me at lunch in Italy, and he goes, uh, I think you need to nail two or three of them pretty hard. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's, I can do that. I nailed all six that we did. Just and that's a whole other story of how season two didn't happen. <laughs> but I won't bore you with that. That's a funny one. But in any case, it, it was interesting because each guy said the same thing. And my director would always just say, hey, just if, if you're cool with it, just meet Joby. And if you want to work with us, great. If you don't, you know, we're just going to move to the next guy. Well, you know. 
all these guys were, you know, interested in the idea of that. And so I'd meet them and they'd be like, "Eh," you know, but then once I started doing the things that they were showing me how to do every time they had the same reaction, like, okay, wow. That would normally take somebody like a couple months to do that. You just did it in 20 minutes. Maybe this guy can actually pull this off. Then they kind of got behind me. Now I'm like Rocky. Hey, man. (laughs) And the whole crew would just like kind of push in behind me. And at the end of the night when I was driving the race car and there were 18 guys out there and three guys wrecked and there was like stuff just shrapnel coming on and I'm still in there racing. And at the end, I won 20 bucks. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I finished the race. Everybody, you know what they say? Well done. Way to go. And the only thing is I had good people that worked really hard to help me do something that was a dream of mine. And I got a chance to present it and tell that story to millions of people. I still have people coming up to me at the Young Frau. Joe Gwen, my son's seen all your shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, all his old shows? And it's kind of funny because uh, – it makes you realize that those stories actually meant something to some people and that, that it was worth it to to risk it. And all the times I got hurt and spent time in the hospital, that was also not so fun, but <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, whoever set you up with Jimmy definitely hit a grand slam on that one because yeah. I, I can't think of a better person to uh, take someone from square one to the Iger, you know, in that amount of time. It, I, to, yeah. He's still to, crushing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and a guy's still crushing it. I mean – He's, he's, he was just the right guy to see it. But also he said, Hey man, it's impossible. I mean, I need, he just kept saying, I need more time. I can probably teach a guy if he's athletic or whatever. I mean, you know, he can learn to base jump. Guys taught a lot of people. Um, a funny story though. I always remember I told Jimmy, he was trying to show me how to pack at the bridge. <laughs> and I finally got a little upset and I said, Hey man, I ain't trying to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. This is my, I'm going to, make a lifestyle out of this just like you did it's great but i need you to pack a parachute for me <laughs> and so he was a little pissed off and i think he didn't really like me completely at the beginning although we at the end we were like best buddies and to this day great friends but there was a day that we had a helicopter with a cineflex on it that was parked like just hovering in front of the bridge on the other side Put the rig on, get out, choppers down there. I'm like, okay, this is like, you know, my eighth base jump ever <laughs> with all time. With a helicopter in the way. <clears throat> I got a helicopter and it's just whirling around. It's like, okay. And I have to jump off and fly back under the bridge and land. Luckily, I had a really good teacher. I could land pretty close to whatever I needed to. But I was a little worried about getting back under the bridge. And right before I jump, <clears throat> he goes, uh, Hey man, uh, just want you to know that uh, I packed you a little little line twist in there, just <laughs> just for you. I was like, "Bro, what? are you serious?" He's like, "I'm serious. You need to know how to get out of that." I'm like, "Okay, jump off, <laughs> massive line twist, oh. <laughs> and there's rocks all on that side. I'm just going towards the rocks. I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's gonna be bad." I'm like Jimmy, why are you doing this to me? I'm kicking out. I'm kicking out. I'm kicking out. Finally, get out, and just barely, like by like. Six inches, my foot just barely touches the dry ground instead of landing in the water. <laughs> just barely running out. <laughs> so that was always my funny story with Jimmy is that uh, he made me pay a little bit 
for the you yeah. know, having a little bit of an attitude uh, of the host attitude, yeah. you know, a little bit. He's like, ah, I'll back your line twist. I'm like, you're, you're telling me that right now? Chopper's right there. I got to jump. He's like, yeah, enjoy that. That's, <laughs> enjoy that's that awesome. line twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have a habit of dropping uh, Brian on PCAs. Yeah. Every, <laughs> <laughs> not, not on ones where you really need a PCA, yeah. like, but it's, it's so like far. a... <laughs> so far, it's been okay. But just an extra, you know, split second of free fall. Yeah, like his very first base jump. I just I saw yeah. that center cell and was like, oh, oh. he's good. <laughs> just let it go. But yeah, perfect form. I mean, it was like he, he's natural. It's on heading. Yeah, this is yeah. good. I was just yeah. too dumb to know any different. Yeah, that happens to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Perfecto. All right. Here we go. Ching, ching, guys. Yep. Ishtan, Ishtan. Baby doll, I'll take a little vice beer whenever you have time. Cheers. All good. Okay. Oh, that's the Jaeger? <laughs> that's the Jaeger. Mm-hmm. That's the A. It's good for you. Yeah. Got a lot of herbs in it. So when you were when you were camping up at the uh, Iger, did you guys share like rental space with Dean? Dean was the only other person that actually came up there. It was me and Andy and Dean, mm-hmm. and we had some very interesting times up there. Um, Dean was the only other person who sort of installed up there. Like yep. we we did, we would have like four or five big duffel bags full of equipment, and we we were there at the cave. Yep, and it was great. Little, the, the, little the terrace, spot, and all yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it's nice, but nobody. I always laughed about that because nobody wanted. We we did but together. We said, "How is nobody up here?" Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd see some guys getting off the train in the morning early after we were already like <laughs> on the mushroom at the top. Because we got up at like six thirty, but what else are you gonna do? But I'd probably sleep a little bit. But I, <laughs> Andy would take a nice big toke. I never did that <laughs> until we got down at least. But I don't. That was that was the most special times um, that I ever had in base jumping was the that that time where we were just up there, and the only time we came down was to like. Buy more butane or something, <laughs> fuel or food. Uh, we had to refuel, regrip every week, maybe. But it was like we were spacemen coming back. People said, "Man, where you guys been?" It's like on the Iger. Mm-hmm. That mountain is the most special mountain that I've ever been to, and I've been to a few. For me, better than Everest better than k2 places where i'm like man i've been some special places where i was very fortunate to have that opportunity to be there and perform there you know on on the mountain and make it happen but you know it's the eiger is different the eiger is something special i've flown down that east ridge probably 150 times man i mean mm-hmm. and everybody would always say the same thing man why are you going back there you can go anywhere i'm like <laughs> this is the best right this is, you could make that flight a million times and it wouldn't matter. It's it's there's something special about that area and that mountain. That jump by itself is huge. So, yeah. When did uh, 
Did you start there before there was a uh, a cable? Were yeah. you doing? Were you jumping across the gap? We we put in. Uh, I never jumped across the gap. I always thought that that was kind of like insane asylum kind of attitude. But we put in a tiny little eight millimeter rope to just slide across a few times. Um, well, the first time I was just <laughs> chopper dropped me off, and there was nothing there. I don't think nice. actually at right. the time, uh, which is most likely why the chopper dropped us off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that was different. I do remember when those Red Bull guys, when Miles and those guys came in, and, and their their mountain guides put in the the metal ones, and we were actually pissed off, like, ah, "What are you guys doing?" And then, I'm, and he's like, he he, he Miles laughed at me. He said, uh, "Came in." I said, "You guys remember you put that thing in?" He came in like some big swinging dick, landing on the helicopter and everything. And I said, "And I said, hey, remember that you guys put that thing in?" He goes, "How many production changes have you made to the natural landscape, Joby?" <laughs> like, eh, okay, never mind, never mind. You're probably right. So, yeah. Well, I'm thankful for that cable because that's actually the most terrifying part of the Iger for me or jumping the mushroom (laughs) is just shimming across that that cable. And I have the ABX harness, which is made for that. And I still still don't like that part. (laughs) Dude, chest strap like an idiot. That's what we used to do. And then we found out, oh, hey, that's not what it's made for. And it'll just tear (laughs) apart. It's like, yeah. Oops. I get pictures of me halfway down that thing looking back doing this with a carabiner at the chest strap. Mm-hmm. Jackass Central. We just didn't know any better. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was also flying a French wingsuit from s Fly. It was made out of like sandpaper or something like that. I mean, I don't remember. That <laughs> barely go at all. But we were just going for it. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad I got a chance to be at the beginning of something. Like when I first came here. There was only one guy that actually had a wingsuit. It was a V2. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Andy West. And there was nobody at any exit point at all. There just nobody was there. We had this place to ourselves for longer than we should have. And then we all said the same thing. I wonder how long this is going to last right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. before they shut us down and kick us everybody out. Because more knuckleheads started showing up. We're like, oh, guys are getting killed now. That's yeah. not good. These guys are probably not going to be digging that too much. And in fact, a lot of that, you know, a lot, a lot happened. A lot changed in that time. Mm-hmm. I think quite, quite a bit. Especially if you talk to the local people. But that's inevitable. Sure. With any progression of sports, like yeah. That. Well, even like the North Face of the Iger, you know, I think folks here are a little more accustomed to outdoor activities and yeah. you know, big mountain tragedies and action. Yeah. So while they don't want you jumping over their funeral, you know, when they're yeah standing there watching you hoot and holler while you're having a mm-hmm. funeral, but I mean, there's there's boundaries that will keep things going for a while. I think as long as we we all just kind of accept the hey, look, this is a privilege, not a right. Yeah, that's a good attitude I mm-hmm. think to have. And, and I appreciate the Swiss uh, mentality that like if if you want to put your life at risk, you're free to do that. You know, that's your right. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, and and then in, in this area, there's 
you know, the base jumpers are kind of the new kids on the block as far as like extreme sports and, uh, you know, risking, uh, taking, taking big risks. Cause I mean, skiing was invented in this area and yeah. I mean, world renowned climbing, as you know, like is here. So we're, we're the new kids with some, some nylon, just trying to have some fun and, yep. uh, and learning yeah. the same hard lessons mm-hmm. along the way that oh, yeah. every other outdoor sport has yeah. had to go through. Yeah, I mean, you're at the pinnacle of of a particular place on the planet where a lot of those extreme sports have been born and developed. And I mean, there's no other place where the access is that easy for the most extreme sports in the world. Mm-hmm. And but you're right, it is all new. And it is funny though. I think there's a little bit about the base mentality or the, some of the people who are into it a little bit. I'm not saying people have a poor attitude, but they. Everybody's a little different. Mm-hmm. Like the paragliders are in a separate category from us. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are they in a separate category from us? Right. They're doing That's the why same we thing. Started paragliding. Out there, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm paraglider too. I got my PT. I've done it. Yeah. I know what the score is. Yep. But it's a whole different group of people doing mm-hmm. a whole different deal. Looked at completely different from the base jumpers. The base jumpers, the people are like, ah, you know, crazy people or something. And I see how people think that a little bit. But you're right. Um, Randy, that yeah. the 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 local people and the Swiss people in general are far more accepting of the consequences of things that guys like us want to come do in their on their land. Mm-hmm. But what's really funny is I've I've watched guys crash in friends of mine. I watched Julian Bull break his leg jumping off down at the end of the valley in Steckelberg. Mm-hmm. One of my good friends, and when he landed and the doctor came, we were apologizing a little bit to the doctor like ah sorry you have to deal with this he goes oh you guys uh, you guys are nothing man he goes, right. you should see wintertime ski season he goes man i got i have ultimate death up there it's like dozens of people getting killed everybody's getting wiped out i'm like really and jeb was like really they're way worse he goes way worse you guys nothing happens to you guys it's good either goes pretty good or it does yeah. or goes all the way bad and i'm just scraping some guy up I never thought about it like that because it was Julian. He just, he just, it was a bad break, but he, all he did was break his leg. Right. And he yeah. was like, hey, you guys are nothing. And it's true. When we were filming up there the other day, the rescue helicopter was like this all day. Nonstop. Yeah, there are actually times in the winter when they ask us not to jump certain exits because of that. Because they, or just not to jump that weekend because they have a huge ski race and the heli is going to be. Just, just Not taking shuffling care of people off, of, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. running people off the mountain, yeah, and, uh, and that's fair enough. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's, actually, it's reasonable. That there's a communication like that. Mm-hmm. That's very mm-hmm. reasonable. Yeah, and luckily now we have like the SBA that's out there, the Swiss Base Association that kind of helps keep us informed and keep us in check. You know, uh, us collectively. You know, when uh, we, when we need to hear something or when we when there's a new update, and there's a reasonable person talking to the. The local folks mm-hmm. yeah, sorting things out. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the same face. It's the same person. They yeah. understand both sides of the story and can yeah. and right now, interface well. Our, our SBA right. guy is a uh, renowned paraglider and base jumper. So I'm hoping that, that uh, you know, the base jumper versus paraglider thing kind of like chills out a little bit, you know, because it doesn't help. need to be there in the first place. Yeah, we, exactly. But we, we do have rules for a reason, and they're, you know, in the areas where we both want to fly, 
you know, if we just respect it, you know, it'll, everything will be cool. You know, yeah, and, uh, exactly. Now we've got a guy that's respected on both sides of that fence, that's sort of mediating. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that you know the, the valley is going to stay open to us for a while um, because of guys like that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like with with the mentality of you know, because base was born out of you know a rebellion basically you know it was like of course um, (laughs) those early days so it's it's a lot some of that's still there and then you get people coming out uh to this area that have two weeks or whatever however long their visit is Mm -hmm. and they're like i've spent you know two thousand dollars on airfare i'm gonna be paying you know to stay somewhere in lauterbrunnen or so that you look at the the the, uh, price tag going up and up and up and you're like well i want to get these jumps to make it worth it but ultimately you know it's like you want to be you want to jump you want to jump safely and you want to respect the rules so that people yeah. can continue to do this and you can come back but because if you start ignoring the you know the rules and whatnot you make you a you might hurt yourself you know and b make it bad for everybody else as well yeah. but sorry that's my weird soapbox for no you're right that valley <laughs> stuff you know it's like because <laughs> yeah, right. like part of me you know is like oh if i wanted to like you know, deal with rules. I'd just go skydiving. They have plenty of rules. Yeah. You know, but at <laughs> right. the same time, like, yeah. we're one yeah. of the few, one of the few <laughs> Americans that are here consistently, yeah. you know, yeah. over and over without living here. Right. And, uh, it's really interesting to watch the kind of the difference in attitudes because, you know, right, wrong or indifferent American base jumpers have a different point of view when they have to work harder in most places in the states just to jump or they have to break rules yeah. just yeah. to jump you know so it, it, yeah. it so kind of just becomes bandit, part of it yeah there's this yeah. bandit base mentality yeah that they yeah. bring out to a place that is a little less aggressive a little yeah. more you know there's rules there's things yeah. that we're doing yeah. to keep things keep you it know, open. copacetic yeah. with everybody right right and it's funny because we're the two americans that are here like Giving people the Swiss look, like All right, a little, come, like, on, hey, man. come on, man, just <laughs> get, keep just, it together a little bit for everybody's sake. Yeah, yeah. it's true, it's true. But it's, no, I never did an, an illegal base jump. Oh, never. Nice. Yeah, it, like people would invite me to, hey, come jump off this building with me. I'm like, nah. I'm like, I for a variety of reasons. Sure. <laughs> like, unless it's all set up, I don't want to do it because I thought, you know, you get in trouble for that and one thing leads to another and man you can have a lot of problems from that Mm -hmm. and just like here the rules they're not that hard to follow no but you still have a mentality of people that don't want to buy into all that but i think in general people you know they want to see as we always did the valley stays open Mm -hmm. they've shut plenty of stuff down already that you know some of the bigger stuff Mm -hmm. That, yeah. That's too bad. But and we have some amazing stuff in the states that you know. Oh, you can you can free climb that you know mm-hmm. the L cap and uh, you're, that's totally within your rights. But but if you jump off that thing with a magic backpack, you're a criminal. You know? oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. but but there are people taking steps to try and try and undo some of the uh, some of the things that I've tried to help you know, with that done, too. Yeah. yeah. I've climbed in Yosemite on those big walls, and it is funny. They'll let you sit up there and take a shit all over the mountain, but you can shit and piss on the mountain, but you can't jump off of it. Yeah. And I had interesting conversations with guys that we worked with filming-wise for the Rangers and stuff, and some of those guys are very reasonable and cool, and some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Some of them don't like the idea that you have a magic backpack and they don't. That's part of it. But also they have a job to do and all that too. But it, it really does show you, look how free everything is here compared to America. We're free. Mm-hmm. We pay tax. We make all that. We pay for that national park to stay open. And you and me and Brian can't go over there and take advantage of it like those other people can. They can climb over there and, and we can't do what we want to do. What's wrong with that picture? But that, I think you see where you got some small personalities in there somewhere that somebody didn't like somebody and they made a rule and some guy and some rule got in there and that, and that was the end. But you know what? I have to say this about that and about base jumping in general. People in my mind a little bit, it's just my observation is that people are jealous of the ability of somebody who can fly. And somebody who has the mentality to be able to do that. So that's one of the first things somebody's going to try to shut down. When somebody has a talent to do something special, people want to shut them down. They don't want them to do that. There's a lot of people who really love to see that great story and something beautiful. But there's a lot of people who go, "Eh, I'm just jealous. I don't want to see that person do that. And I think that that is what happened in the United States. And it's kind of a weird thing that we're all here as Americans doing what mm-hmm. we want to do mm-hmm. in a foreign country. Yeah. Now, have, do you find that whether it's climbing or jumping, um, do you have to explain to people that it's not all like Red Bull and Mountain Dew? Like, uh, do you get into the, you know, the technical side of it? Yeah. I think actually that my success in the business part of doing all this stuff has come from my ability to shut down the Red Bull Mountain Dew mentality. I, I walk in, I don't, have tattoos i'm not all pierced out and everything i come in with a business plan and i say here's what the score is i can do this i'm top professional in the world i can make this happen and i present a plan and an idea and a story that makes sense from making money point of view and i'm clean cut all american guy that can come in and pull it off and host and be the star of your show and i can push it through and be the foundation of that i can be the anchor and i can make people believe it because I've done it. We're going to so do I it. can show you. Yeah, we're going to do this. You know, I mean, I can't help that an avalanche came down and killed my entire Sherpa team on Mount Everest. Otherwise, any other normal time, I mean, we I'd have rocked off that thing like it was no big deal. Just, you know, hey, here we go. I mean, honestly, what we were doing there was very ambitious, but, uh, you know, things happen. However, you know, the main thing is, I think that you have to look at your life and what it's doing at the time. And you have to make up your mind of how you want things to work out. And then there has to be an end to it. I spent a lot of time telling guys, I'm not the crazy Red Bull guy. I'm the guy who just gets the job done at the end of the day. And that is who they want. They want a result. In production, in movies, commercials, whatever, they want a result. They don't care as long as the guy gets the job done in a super pro way, like just done. Then you make yourself valuable. So, I mean, I'm sort of retired sort of until somebody has a big enough checkbook to pull me out of retirement, (laughs) which has happened a few times. just happened, oh, shit, this this week. (laughs) But... um, but you do, you know, the mentality changes from that pioneer developing fearless mode to uh, I kind of did okay and I can 
I can do some other things mm-hmm. and make some other shows and do some other things. But of course, when I'm here now, I, I, I'm like, I'm coming back. I'm, right. I'm, gonna be, I'm back. I'm going to bring the suit out. I know everything. how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Throw me as an extra. I can do this. <laughs> so the question then, you know, from there, you know, you've seen what we would say, quote unquote, extreme sports, whether it's climbing or jumping or various other things. Where do you see the future of extreme sports? Because there's a lot of folks out there that would look at you and say, you know, hey, the, the TV shows have all been done. The, the you know, the YouTube uh, saturation is there. So there are guys that are still, you know, pushing the edge and trying to get that even lower proximity flight. What do you think the next extreme sport is kind of on the horizon? I agree with you in the fact that I think it's pretty saturated now. Yeah. I see that because I used to get all the jobs, and there ain't so many jobs now. Right. I mean, they're very few and far between. Um, so I think it's reached its point to where it's something's going to change. To be honest, I'm not sure. I don't think that the jetpack thing is the future. It's not feasible for anybody to really have that unless you're really – yeah, there's two guys in the world that have it. Right. One exactly. of them sponsored by the Crown Prince. I've been over there too, and all those guys. And that's cool. But it's not going to be. That's not the future. No. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how people in history look back at guys like us and see the few guys that really were doing something interesting or told a story with it. But I don't know that they're really, you know, it's one of those things that I think, lucky for us, actually, it's a very pure form of sport that it's hard to explain that to people. And it's hard to explain that experience. And even when they see it, they don't truly understand what it took to really be able to do Mm -hmm. the things that, that you're doing. So, but it is saturated. And... There will be something else. Every time I saw a video, you know, of what we do, and I said, wow, okay, you know, me and Jeb used to say that. We'd say, man, all right, that's it. That that doesn't, you know, you can't get right. closer than that. <laughs> well, that was old footage. Yeah. That was Yoke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Yoke, man. It's like, how do you do it? And then, I, oh, oh, Graham. Oh, okay. You know, Alex. Okay, these guys. Problem is, most of those guys are dead. Mm-hmm. And doing all this, you know, stuff in the channel. I mean, man, I've been there. It, it. I never really understood completely why some of those guys that we liked so much and were so talented went in because they just went a little harder. But I've watched them do it, and it's tough to lose people like that. But that's the that's part of the deal. Yeah. That's what makes the experience that much richer because it becomes that much more valuable because it is that much more that real. More real. Yeah. yeah, and there there are always going to be those guys that you know are. are uh, you need the pioneers that are going to push it to the next level and, and whatnot. But you just hope that they can do it in a safe manner. But you know, without risk, you don't really get progression you know so i don't know yeah so that's that's a we could talk about that all day right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i mean 
free diving and you know there there are yeah. there are extreme things out there that are you know haven't quite hit that popularity swing that have gone through the roof like like this did no i think the wingsuit stuff really changed everything you know base yeah. jumping people had seen and they were kind of like wow those guys that do that but the suits changed the whole deal mm-hmm. you see a guy mm-hmm. truly like Fly. living his dream of flight pure human flight with no machine just a little backpacker i mean man i mean just clean just flying 120 miles an hour like it's no big deal and landing and repeating it again and again man how many times you guys jumped off high nose in one day five six times a mega stunt five six times in a row holy shit that's man i did that every day that the weather was good we did it when it was raining I've jumped off the ultimate when it was raining. Yeah. I watched Jeb fall off of it with Doug standing next to me in the rain. Oh, jeez. We would just jump. Like, it didn't matter. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your life changes. You get a little older and, you know, things move along. And, uh, yeah, you get a wife, a kid, a beach house. You're like, screw it, man. I take a little different viewpoint to all this. But the best times of my life ever or right down here in that valley, Lauterbrunn. Mm-hmm. And what what's one of the uh, the most valuable lessons you know you've learned from being up in the mountains? Whether it was base jumping or climbing, you know something that that really stuck with you. I was in Pakistan. I was climbing on a mountain called Batura Two, which at the time was the highest unclimbed mountain in the world. I was with one guy. Guy, very famous Italian climber named Simone Morrow, and we were in a tent right at the summit of, of of a mountain that you had to climb just to get to the mountain we were going to. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but it was probably about you know what we were doing and how highly dangerous it was. Um, in fact, I, I got an avalanche a few hours later and had to be rescued by the Pakistani military with a helicopter. <laughs> so we we were all in agreement. What we were, we were doing was a little outrageous. But he was talking about a, a, you know, kind of a variety of things. And the best piece of advice that I had ever gotten in the way to look at stuff was at one point in the conversation, he looked at me and he said, the life is only one. There's a lot of ways to look at that. But the main way that I always looked at that is that what the reason he was saying is because, man, he said, man, the, what we're doing here is so dangerous. We shouldn't be up here. <laughs> we were both in agreement that this was a very – we had put ourselves in a very bad position. Like we had gotten to the summit of this thing, and then we saw we didn't have any ropes or any equipment. We had free climbed the entire thing overhanging vertical ice i mean really like gnarly bad stuff in the middle of nowhere on a restricted area on the edge of the border of afghanistan so (laughs) if you want to think that oh this is taliban territory well yeah Yeah. (laughs) it is (laughs) that's exactly where you're at and so we were just in agreement that this that any second now this can all be over and, in fact, a few hours later, it really was very close to being over for me. I got really hurt really bad. I had to get evacuated by the Pakistani military. Brought in a big Black Hawk helicopter with guys, machine guns, and all that stuff. Like, it was crazy. Like, give us your passport. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and then they put us on the helicopter and got us out because I had a broken ankle, broken hip, broken ribs, concussion, all kind of stuff. And uh, But they got us. They got us out of there. 
And it proved my friend's point. That's the long version of the short story that he was right. It's like it almost ended right there. And we had to get evacuated. But I remember on the helicopter, he's like, you see what I'm saying? And he was a very wise and smart guy. And I appreciated that. And that was the best piece of advice that I ever got in the mountains because it really made sense. And it got hammered home the next day for me where I should have died and I just didn't. But the life is only one. So you have to kind of – I think that all of us, when we're jumping off these things up here, think that same thing, whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. It's worth the stretch. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm just looking at that at several different ways because, you know, the life is only one. isn't You only get one shot at it, you know, so you might as well make it count. But then there's the collective look as, well, that's only one life. Like, we, mm-hmm. we're we pushing, you know, uh, something past that, and it's going to take a few it's gonna take a few bodies to get to where we want to go. But I don't know. Yeah, it's like a, a space like, program or anything like that. Anything <laughs> ambitious yeah. where you're trying to get yeah. to a place that you shouldn't be is going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in three weeks, I get ready to fly out to Baffin Island. I'm gonna go. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, lucky you, man. Yeah. (laughs) You about to get real cold. I'm about to freeze my ass (laughs) out. And it's one of those things where uh, you know some of our friends that are on the expedition, um, you know, hey, are you bringing an ice axe and this and that? And I'm like, "Mm, no, no. If I need an ice axe, then. I'm in. I'm in a place I don't need to be because I don't know how to use an ice. Yeah, they got heli loads. Uh, yeah, that's good. It's yeah, we're gonna helis. do ten ten days of heli instead of Lucky hiking you. the whole thing. So oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, if the heli's not going, then maybe I'm, we shouldn't. Be I'm camping. <laughs> I'm not. Right. I'm not that's, hiking up with an ice axe because Baffin's not the place to learn how to use an ice axe. No, not so, three thousand feet up there anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So tips for staying warm. Yeah. Like, God damn it, it's gonna be cold. What do you tell a guy that's never been never you know, been to something that cold before? I hear something about a, a little a, a snowsuit, the Michelin Man suit. Yeah, uh, I've always been a fan of the uh, one piece down suit mm. from Eddie Bauer. That's a good one. They sponsored me for a project uh, a while back, and those suits are the best because what happens is you go on these expeditions and. People think, oh, you're climbing, you're doing all the jumping and all this stuff. It's like, no, you're standing around most of the time. If you want to stand around. You're going to be cold. You're going to be cold. Uh, footwear is key to that deal, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those hand warmers and all that stuff. Yeah, that stuff works that oh, good. No, I got a whole bag of hand warmers. Well, in the, you'd in the be, uh, you're not so high altitude, so that actually, that sh- they should work better mm-hmm. than that. But the 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 footwear... If you can get some of those electric uh, sock things, man. Oh. I looked at those thinking, how am I going to keep these things charged up? But That's the only thing. Luckily, Dubes hooked me up with his boots that he used in Baffin. Okay. And I put them on for a split second, and it was like sticking my feet in a down pillow. Yeah, I was perfect. like, oh, that's, <laughs> there what, you go. that's what warm is about. Mm-hmm. So I've got, I've got some of Dubes' uh, Baffin gear. Well, but I'm freaking out. He knows what the score is over there. No, that's a big trip, man. That's a big expedition. Yeah, that's that's big time stuff. And that's one of those things where when we talk about like, you know, people dialing it back a little bit, or you know, learning to when to say no or walk away from something. I'm like, look, learning how to use an ice axe 
is not the time to be doing that or, you know, trying to pick up something new in an extreme environment where yeah. snot is frozen on my yeah, face yeah. and I'm freaking out trying to figure out how to yeah. Yeah, track with a whole bunch of extra gear on me. And Oh, yeah, do 10 different things at the same time that it's like, it's you know, you're... It's a hostile environment in any case. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to limit your variables as much as possible. Yeah. You know, and just stick yeah. to what you know and stay warm and yeah. stay safe. Yeah, yeah. That place. But that'll be a cool trip. You'll have a good time. That'll yeah. be great. I've always yeah. wanted to go there. I never, I never, never got a chance. And Dukes invited me or something. Or maybe it was JT or something at one time. And I, I just didn't have time to do it. But uh, lucky you. Wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Joby, uh, before we wrap up, do you want to plug yeah. your, um, you know, the project you're on, or any future projects, or you know, tell people where they can uh, find you? Yeah, I think for me right now, my main focus is this movie that I'm working on right now. It's called The Man with the Silver Case. It stars a guy named Stuart Reed, who's a really big actor in the UK, and it's an action adventure movie, sort of in the same genre of like a, you know, the Bourne series. Uh, we, in fact, hope to and plan to do a series of these movies because it's a, a very interesting, intricate story. And I did some opening sequence stunts for the movie, uh, which were fun. It was cool to do it here in Switzerland. We filmed every scene for the movie all here in this area of Switzerland. So um, we made a lot of really cool friends and a lot of had, had, you know worked with an, an amazing Swiss crew of about 50 people. Uh, to make this movie and it's going to be you know a pretty big feature movie in the United States and I think uh, start a whole new little genre of action and adventure stuff it's it's kind of like an action adventure movie what with a twist of like a pulp fiction type uh, nice. feel to it yeah Sweet. and it's uh, we had enough money to to make it really cool but not enough money to like you know go over the screw top. it up <laughs> and so i think it might we might have just gotten it just right we filmed for another few days and we'll be done and then uh back to california to pimp it out right very cool well thank you so much for you know a introducing yourself to me at the bar like i just you saw me with a stash bag i was like hey you know just started, yeah. <laughs> started up a quick conversation and then i realized that maybe this is a good opportunity to have a have a little recording yeah, it's cool. And, uh, so thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. And, uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun. You know? Thanks, man. Yeah. I appreciate so. it. I'm glad you guys uh, glad you guys found me and at the Horner, my normal yeah. weird hangout over there. <laughs> it's, it's like it the headquarters, right? That's yeah. Headquarters, yeah. No, it's good. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. And you guys just uh, stay, yeah. stay safe on the weekends. Yeah, you sure. as well. And we look forward to seeing uh, seeing more of your projects as they come out. Appreciate you know, it. We'll add all the all the links to these in the in the show notes so that people know where to find it. Sweet. Awesome. Right. I'll promote it too through my stuff. Sick. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well okay. thanks. This guys. was a Base Life Podcast. Thanks. We're out. Thanks. Woo. All right. If you want to know more about our guests, just check out the show notes. And if you want to give us some feedback or reach out to us, you can hit us at baselife2014 at gmail.com. Facebook.com backslash the base life and on Instagram we're at base dot life. All right, thanks.